0: Right, let's dive straight in. We're in Romans 14, and we are continuing our series in Romans, having taken a couple of weeks' break. Two weeks ago, we uh, prayed and laid hands on uh, Liz Porter to become a deacon, and uh, I just unpacked some of the biblical um, uh, outline, really, for why we are appointing deacons and uh, what our biblical foundation for that is, so you can listen to that online. And then last week, we were at the campsite and so we did things a little bit different. Uh, But today we're in Romans chapter 14, and then next week Steve's going to be picking it up and really closing things with Romans 16, looking at fruitful partnership of what it looks like for men and women to partner side by side in the advance of the gospel, in making disciples. What does it look like for us to be co-workers together? Okay, Displaying the glory of God, teaching all the nations to obey Christ. What does that look like? So I'm really excited about uh, that. That's Steve next week. We're, uh, as I say, in, in chapter 14. And we've got a chapter that's all about unity, unity within the church. Now, unity is something that is very, very important uh, to God. If you look back in Matthew uh, chapter 18, there's a few verses where, so Jesus says, some really pretty hard-hitting things. He says, if anyone causes one of these little ones, and you might think, well, who are these little ones? Is he speak to the children? Who's he speaking to? Well, it says, those who believe in me. So he's talking to believers, those who are follow, uh, following him. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung round the neck, their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Okay, so if you think Jesus is meek and mild, I know our culture loves to think, yeah, peaceful leader. I can get on board with that. Okay, these are not peaceful words. But this is a warning. Jesus cares about unity. He cares about how we relate to one another. When Jesus was asked to summarize the whole of the Mosaic law, so hundreds and hundreds of commandments, really the law that the, the nation of Israel lived their lives by, Jesus said, love me, love me, the Lord your God and love others. Okay, so how how we treat one another is very, very important. Okay, and that Paul really picks up this theme then in chapter 14. And we'll go through a few verses. We're fairly short on time, but we'll hopefully get to the meat of it. He says, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything So we'll go through this just verse by verse and we'll, we'll move on if we've got time. But accept the one whose faith is weak. So Paul is really outlining this deal that within the church there are weak believers and there are strong believers, okay? And these are not weak or strong believers in the faith in terms of saving faith. These are believers who love Jesus, have put their full trust and hope and are putting their full weight upon Jesus for their salvation, But they are weak and strong with regards to preferential matters within the life of the church or what it looks like to live for Jesus. So these are not sin issues. They are preferential matters. And Paul says to the strong, to start with, accept the one whose faith is weak. Paul is seeking after unity between the weak and the strong. So if we think about context and we think, okay, who's Paul writing to? You've got the Jews and you've got the Gentiles, and they're coming together in faith, in the church, and they're working out what does it look like for us to live together, to follow Christ together. You've got this whole Jewish nation, like thousands of years of following Jesus, uh, following God, at just such a, strong, um, such a strong faith, so many rules, regulations around that. The Gentiles are coming into it, and they're trying to work out, okay, do we ditch all of that? Do we follow some of it and not others? What do the Gentiles do? What do the Jews do? Big, big questions. And within that time, there were the temples, and they, uh, people would have sacrificed meat and vegetables, but meat as well, to their idols for favor. And the Jews would have, uh, would have thought... Oh, you know, I don't, don't want to be involved in that. If meat is being sacrificed to idols, I don't want to eat that. So I'm going to stay well away from that. My conscience doesn't let me uh, engage in that. But the weak believers might have also thought... Actually, uh, sorry, that would have been sort of a weak sense. But the strong believers might have thought, actually, no, all meat is fine to eat. It talks about that in 1 Timothy. All meat is fine to eat. It says that later in, in Romans uh, chapter 14. Um, I'm convinced, Paul says, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. So there is this deal that actually we can eat and drink what we want as long as we give thanks to it, as long as we can do it to God's glory, that it doesn't matter. Okay, so you've got the strong and the weak. The Gentiles, the Jews. Some Gentiles would have been strong. Some would have been weak. Some Jews would have been strong. Some Jews would have been weak. So it's really how do we all... Get along. How do we all love one another? And the theme really of chapter 14 is is to accept one another, to receive one another. It's to open our arms wide and receive our brothers and sisters who think differently to us on these preferential matters. Paul says to do it in verse one, without quarrelling over disputable matters. So it's not welcome, like come in, come, come round to my house. Let me show you why you're wrong. These are the verses. This is why you should be doing or thinking as I think. No, it's not for quarrelling. It's accepting. It's welcome to the family. You know, in families we have all different types of people, don't we, within our own nuclear families? Sometimes they think that other people think differently to us. On a probably some very things that we think are actually quite important. But we accept one another, don't we? We welcome one another into our homes. We eat together. We share life together. And that's what Paul's saying. Accept one another. The strong are to accept the weak, and the weak are to accept the strong. Verse 2. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. So you could get this dynamic where the two groups, the strong and the weak, are, look, are interacting in a way that is not healthy, not godly, not gospel-centered. And Paul's wanting to make sure like, that unhealthy habits of relating don't uh, form. And we can have that within you know, our church as well. We might think, oh, we haven't really got that Jew-Gentile uh, sort of separation or history. But we all come to church with different backgrounds. Could have different church backgrounds. Some of us might have come from very strict, maybe legalistic backgrounds. Grown up in the faith, being told, actually, you've got to do this. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to follow the holy days. You've got to make sure you Sabbath and make sure you don't do anything on that day. Don't do anything on that day. You might have been told, actually, I've got to do these things. I can't do that. I can't drink alcohol others of you might have grown up maybe in much more of a liberated uh, church environment, where it's a sense of, yeah, enjoy the liberty in Christ to the full. So we all come together with different backgrounds, different preferences, different experiences. And so there's the temptation really to, uh, for the strong to look Really, it says contempt, disdainful contempt, to look down upon the weak and say, why are you being so strung up? Like, you're saved in Christ. He died for you. Just forget about those rules. Forget about those things that you used to do that you, or that you want to do to, because you think you're pleasing or believe in your heart that you're pleasing God. Forget about those things. Get with the program. Get with your liberty in Christ. Be free. And then the weak might look upon the strong and judge them, and saying, "Look, you are—you're you, in a sticky situation. You are going to be so—you like—you're so free. You're so close. You're in the deep end. You're—you're you're close to going off the edge because of all your freedom. You're going to shipwreck your faith." And the weak might look at the strong and go, "Like, you got it wrong. You got it wrong." You need to be doing these things. And so this dynamic, disdainful contempt from the strong to the weak and judgmentalism from the weak to the strong can develop because love isn't necessarily at the center. So Paul says we must not treat with contempt the weak and the weak must not judge the strong. Why? Well, it says it there at the end of verse 3. It's a glorious truth. For God has accepted them. Who are we to look upon a brother or a sister who chooses to do something to please God, maybe keep a holy day, keep a Sabbath, choose to eat a certain diet, worship in a certain way, keep certain uh, ways of doing things, routines and rhythms maybe in life, because they believe they're pleasing God. Who are we to look down, or the strong, who are the strong to look down upon the weak? with disdainful contempt God has accepted the weak and on the flip side who are the weak to judge the strong those who feel that they are living their liberty in Christ to the full who are the weak to judge the strong for God has accepted them our judgment or our disdainful contempt will do nothing to change a believer's standing in Christ. That's good news. That's good news if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I've got quite a sensitive conscience. I probably would come under that weak, weak faith in that regard. God is able to make you stand. God has accepted you. Those who are strong and might look down upon the weak, God has accepted you you. God has accepted you, and God has accepted every single person, the weak and the strong. So who are we to put anything in the way of our accepting of one another? If God has accepted them, it's the trump card, isn't it? You've top trumps, do that with Seth, pick the best uh, stat, and then you, you trade off. God, the ultimate trump card. Trump down. God's accepted you. Okay, (laughs) there's nowhere to go there, really, is there? I can't judge you. I can't look down upon you. God's accepted you. Great. I mean, what an even playing ground for us to build one another up, to be united together, to love one another, to receive one another. It's wonderful. Verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will Stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. This is another glorious truth of why we can receive one another. I think with the strong and the weak, we can we can think that the other group or the other person, say, is close to shipwreck in their faith, or they're just going off the deep end. So we can out of concern for the other person think, like, are they gonna be okay? Do I need to get, like, for the, the weak might think, oh, I need to get some boundaries around the, sh- the strong person. Get some boundaries in place. You need to do this. Have these rules. Make sure you don't go too close to that. Don't live your liberty to that extent. Like, get some rules around. And the strong might think, come on, do away with all that. Do away with those rules. And yet... Yeah. In the same way that God has accepted every single person, God is able to make every single person stand. He's the one who sustains us. He's the one who ensures that we stand until the end. In Jude, uh, verse 24, says this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. So, God is able to make us stand, the weak and the strong. He's able to make every single one of us stand and to present us before his glorious presence without fault, and he does it with great joy. So, God loves to do this, he loves to ensure that we stand. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. So those whom he foreknew, those are the ones that he decided to love, to choose. Before the beginning of time, the foundation of the world, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn, this is speaking of Jesus, among many brothers and sisters. Verse 30, and those he predestined, so those he has chosen, he also called, he he, he makes the call, like, come and follow me. He makes the call, dead, come alive. Those he called, he also justified. He forgives. He makes right. He makes righteous. He enables us to stand before a holy and perfect God. And those he justified, he also glorified. There's a past, present, and future deal to God calling, God enabling us to stand. He does it from beginning to end, from start to finish. He will make you stand. So we can receive one another because God has received us. We can receive one another because he is able to make us stand. Verse 5. One person considers one, more, one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Another reason we can stand actually is this beautiful truth that, um, sorry, that we can receive one another, is this beautiful truth that Whether you're a weak brother or sister or a strong brother or sister in these preferential matters, so not sinful matters, but preferential matters, is that we can know that the other brother or sister is doing whatever they are doing because they believe it pleases the Lord. And the strong person and the weak person, both, the motive is exactly the same. The strong person is, is living their liberty to the full and feels free to eat what they want and, and do, do away with the, uh, the old Mosaic law and say, look, I'm, I'm saved in Christ Jesus, fulfilled the law, I can live that liberty uh, to the full. They're doing that to please Christ. And the weak brother or sister who says, no, actually, I, I, I want to do those things. I want to be restricted in that area. I feel that that is right and good. I'm doing that to please the Lord. So I'm gonna keep those things. I might keep a Sabbath. I might choose a certain diet. I might do certain things because I believe it pleases the Lord. So therefore we don't, you know, that goes back to that disdainful content, that judging. Actually, the motive is exactly the same. We all want to please the Lord. (laughs) It's a great leveler again. It's something that unites us, that we might have different preferences. But in Christ, we are all one. The key there is that we do whatever we do, giving thanks to the Lord. So if you're going to eat a really good steak, do it to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Or if you're going to eat a really good vegetarian meal, do it to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Do it to his glory. It doesn't matter what you do in those regards. What matters is giving thanks to God. We live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. He's the king. He's the one who gets to call the shots in our lives. He's our master and Lord. It's amazing. Paul unpacks just more of, like, what does it look like to live in unity with one another throughout the, uh, chapter 14? Really encourage you to read that. Maybe um, just chew things over in your life group. Like, that's, you know, a great place to just work out, like, what, what are the practical dynamics um, of this? And he goes through into uh, chapter 15 um, as well. Let's pick it up there in... Um, Verse, uh, verse five. It gives uh, Paul just gives really a glorious picture of what we're aiming for. Like it's not just about like make sure we don't have petty squabbles and you know make sure you get on and then we can you know get on with the important stuff. There's a wonderful, glorious picture that Paul paints of what we're actually doing when we get on, when we are united together in Christ. He says, May the, this verse 5 may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we choose unity, there is a wonderful note that is sounded of. Just one note of just glorious unity, not squabbling. There's not lots of different notes that just plays a really like, you know, we had a party yesterday for Seth and uh, we've got a piano and one of the children decided to turn the piano on and was just, you know, smacking the piano and it's like, please don't smack the piano. But just making a horrific noise, like in essence, not united the keys, the notes, not united at all. But when we're united in Christ, we display a glorious note to the world around us. Jesus said, look, you're, people will know that you're mine by the way that you love one another. So it's a wonderful witness, actually, when we choose to, to agree, when we choose to love one another, when we choose to receive one another. It's a wonderful witness to the world You don't have to look far in the papers to just see, unfortunately, the church just divided and disagreeing and squabbling about things. That breaks God's heart. Let's make sure that anything that we are responsible for is promoting unity. It's promoting love. It's moving towards one another. It's listening to one another. It's caring for one another. That's the attitude of Christ, as it says in verse 5. Verse 7, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. That brings us to the cross. Jesus has accepted us because of his work on the cross. We were all sinners. All sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. We are all accepted by Christ, but we all come to the foot of the cross. We don't come with like a podium at the cross, some people right at the bottom, others, you know, higher up, maybe some looking Jesus in the face. No, we're all at the foot of the cross, even playing ground, bringing nothing but our sin. Jesus brings his righteousness, his perfection. He perfectly fulfilled the law. And at the cross, and rising again, he says, look, you can have my righteousness. Here it is as a gift. Accept it by faith. Take hold of it. Live in the good of it. Don't ever move on from the grace that I have given you. I've done it at the cross. I accept you. I welcome you in. Now go and accept one another. Okay, shall we stand? Ed and Julia will sing another song. It's good to respond. It's good to um, take opportunities like this to ask God into our lives and to say, God, is there anything in my heart where I'm living out of disdainful contempt or maybe judgmentalism to someone else? There might be a situation in your life at the moment where you can think, actually, I am. And now's a good opportunity for God to highlight that. Or maybe you to bring that to God in repentance and say, God, I'm so sorry uh, for that. And then to move and say sorry. And for maybe another person to extend forgiveness. You might want to do that even uh, this morning, maybe even as we worship or, or afterwards, if you know you're um, not united with a brother or sister. Sometimes just bad attitudes can get in. Even just sort of low-lying ones, you might not even think, oh, I'm necessarily thinking that bad thoughts, but I'm just not really relating to that brother or sister very well. Just because of a disagreement maybe over something else or um, a difference of opinion on something. Let's move towards one another. So do, do ask God, God, what, what do you want to do in me? What have you got for me? What do you want to highlight? And as well, just positively as well, just like, what, what do you want me to do to help promote unity? Maybe in the fellowship here, maybe more broadly, maybe in the community. Let's ask God. Jesus, we are so grateful to you that you accept us. That is an incredible reality that we are accepted in you, Christ that we stand here and we go from this place and we go into our workplaces or school or uh, into our homes knowing that we are fully, 100% accepted and that you will make us stand and that you receive us with open arms just like the, the father of the prodigal son. You are the one who welcomes in. You want us here. Jesus, we pray, please help us to live in the good of that. Help us to receive one another. Our heart and our prayers that we might be such a strong and united community that nothing gets in, that no division or rift enters into the fellowship. Jesus, we want to be so strong. We want to display something glorious to the world around us. And we pray for your help, your strength, your conviction, your care of us, We pray as we do that. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.